0: That being said, Ike, we are concluding our series, God Has a Name, in Exodus 34. Uh, it has been a good time. It's been exciting, I think, to, to walk through this passage. And really, I've, I've learned a lot. I hope you guys have learned a lot. Um, and today we're going to talk more about how we can actually move from just learning a lot to actually doing what, we, what we've learned. And that's what we're going to focus our attention on today. But before we dive in, I just want to pray together for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into through the Word. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we each thank you for the, these moments that we have to, to be together. God, we can sing, we can hear your word taught, we can read your word, we can um, confess who we believe that you are, and Lord, we just, we're just grateful. And God, here over the next few minutes, I just pray that you're with all of us as we walk through the scriptures, as we walk through your word. God, I just pray that you'll just be with all of us here. Lord, I pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be glorifying to you because you are my rock, you are my redeemer. And Lord, it's my prayer as it is every single week that not, not a single one of us leave here unchanged by your word. Lord, that we, we don't just merely listen to the word, we do what it says. Lord, change us, use us to be the people that you desire us to be. Thank you for, for Jesus. Thank you for the way that you love us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Well, this week I was reading an, an article, a story about a, a security guard in Russia. And, and so this was his first day on the job. He was working at an art gallery. And like it was during the week and this really wasn't tourist time in Russia. And so like he was walking around the art gallery and it wasn't really busy and he was getting like incredibly bored. First day, he didn't really know what to do, not a lot of action going on. And so as he's walking around, he's looking at the art and he sees this, this abstract picture. And he looks at it a little while and he's trying to grasp it. And he he, he gets the idea it's supposed to be people, but it's like got these ginormous, just round-shaped heads. There's no facial expressions. There's no eyes, no ears, no no mouth, none of that. It's just this flesh-colored ball sitting on top of what he thinks is supposed to be a human body. And so he sees it and then he just kind of walks around and he's bored once again. And so he takes out a pen. And I know this is never a good idea, but especially like if you're a security guard, but he goes and he draws eyes on these pictures, like because it was too ambiguous. It was too abstract for him. And so he draws eyes on this picture and he's like, that looks better. Come to find out, it's nearly a million euro painting that he just drew eyes on. He got fired, as you might expect. But like, he just was like, he didn't like the abstract. Anybody like abstract art in here? One, one? One and a half of us? Like, I'm not an abstract art person. If you have to tell me what it is, it's not very good art. Like, if you have to explain to me and I have to, like, turn my head and wink a little bit, like, it's just not, I'm just not there. That's not me. All right? And so, but I think sometimes we're kind of like the security guard when it comes with God, right? Like, we don't want the abstract. Like, God, don't just be the, the man upstairs. Don't just be this force. Like, actually, let's, let's have something concrete. Show me what you are actually doing like. And thankful for us that God does that for us. He he doesn't remain ambiguous. He doesn't remain vague. He doesn't remain abstract. He isn't like you have to turn the Bible upside down, stand on your head, wink a little, spin around. Hopefully you'll be able to see what he's like. That's not what he does for us. No, he reveals himself to us very, very clearly. And so once again, let's read this one more time. Exodus 34. Hopefully we've got it about memorized at this point, but Exodus 34 verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of, their parents, of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. So let's just make sure we know this, make sure this is clear. We've, uh, we've talked about this before, but let's make sure we get it. God it hasn't hidden who he is or what he is like. God is not hiding this from you. He's not keeping his character a secret from you. Now, there are some things clearly about God that, that are hard to understand. There are some things about God that may be difficult for us to grasp that we don't completely understand, but his character, who he is, what he is like, it isn't one of them. Like, he is laying this out for us very, very clearly. He is he's Yahweh. He's Elohim. He's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is who he is. Like, he is letting us know. He is cluing us into, this is my very DNA. This is my makeup of who I am. This is who I am to the core of my very being, to the core of my essence. I am what he lays out here for us in Exodus 34. He's letting us know this. And one of the things that I find really interesting is, is this is a response to Moses. So if we look back at Exodus 33, Moses makes two requests of God. Well, he make, makes quite a few, but he makes a few requests of God that I think are really significant. So in chapter 33, verse 13, Moses asked, this, asked God, he says, Let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. Then in verse 18, he says, Show me your glorious presence. And God answers both of these for Moses. So the first thing he saw is the Lord passed before him. Like he is revealing his glory to him. So he's, he, Moses asked, let me see your glorious, your, your glory. Okay. And so the Lord passes before Moses and then he tells him his name. But I think this is so beautiful and so powerful and important for us is it's just in response to Moses saying, teach me your ways. Let me know what you're like. Teach me to be like you. And God's like, okay, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know my ways? Here is who I am. Moses asked him, teach me your ways. And he says, okay, this is who I am. This is the way of of me. This is how I look. And here's what I think is important for us is if you're anything like me, you, you like being smart, like you like learning a lot of things. And the goal of this series isn't just for us to be really smart, The goal of this isn't like you to be called by a friend for a table quiz that's going to be in Exodus 34, so you're ready to roll. Like that's not the goal of this series. The goal isn't just for us to know some things about God, but rather for us to be like God, to be like him, not just to know about him, but to be like him, to live the way that he wants us to live, to do the things that we were meant to do. And I don't know if you guys have caught on to this, if you've realized this and. But as we read through these names of God, these are things that we can be compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful, loyal love, forgiving. Like these are characteristics that we can be. These are things that we can do. Yeah, we can't be Yahweh. We can't be Elohim. But like the other things, these are things that we were capable of through the the spirit working in our lives. These are things that we we should be, things that we should become. And so Moses says, teach me your ways. And God is like, okay, here's my ways. This is what I am. This is who I am. And this is what you are meant to be. And so God is calling us to be this. He's calling us to be people who are compassionate, people who are slow to anger, people who are abounding in love. This is what he wants from us. This is what he's desiring us to be. Not only can we be these things, we should be these things. And I think that's important. Not only can we be compassionate, we should be compassionate compassionate. Not only can we be slow to anger, we should be slow to anger. Not only should we be abounding loyal love, we should be these things. And like what we start to see is God is like he is giving us a vision of the kingdom. He's giving us, this is what a a kingdom-oriented life looks like. It is categorized by these characteristics. Just think for a second. Think about a world with a bunch of people who are compassionate and gracious. What does that look like it looks like heaven right think about a group of people who are slow to anger what does that look like it's a place i want to be like think about a group of people who are merciful people who are forgiving think about these things like this is, this is beautiful and he's showing us this is what the this is the way life was meant to be and he's giving us this vision of what life could be and what it should be and i can't help But think about these characteristics and the way that they pop up on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says these things. He's like, if someone slaps your right cheek, give him the the other cheek as well. Be slow to anger. He talks about being a forgiving people. He talks about being compassionate. Like, he just lays this all out in there. And Jesus' most famous sermon, he doubles down on this. And so, once again, these characteristics are not just what God does, they are not just the way that he acts, they are who he is. They are his very genetic makeup, they are his very DNA, they are, they're what comprises him, it's what makes him, him. And here's the cool thing, if we flip all the way back to the first page, maybe the second page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 what we start to see is this is what we were created like as well. This was the same DNA, this was the same makeup that was placed into every single one of us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 36, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Pay pay special attention to how we are made. In his image and in his likeness. those are two incredible, incredible things that that God is letting us know in the way that we are created. We are made not just in his image, but in his likeness. So as we begin to study these words, we start to look at this word image and this word likeness. This is the only place in Scripture that these are put together. But every time that these words are used, it is never in reference to the physical. It is never in reference to like an act when you, somebody's image. This isn't what we're talking about here. It's not this physical image. Making in somebody's likeness is it's not this physical likeness. No, it's, it's intellectual, it's spiritual, it's moral, it's ethical. These are the things that begin to separate us from, from other parts of creation. God says that we are very good. No other crea- part of creation gets that term, just, just humans. And like this, these things start to, to separate us from, from like the animal kingdom. Think about this. Some some bad examples, but just ponder this for a second. There's this lion, and a lion sees a gazelle that's down on its luck. It's it's having a tough time, like it's run out of food, it's run out of money. The lion isn't thinking, "Wow, I can be incredibly compassionate and gracious to that gazelle." There, no, it's thinking, "Hey, that's an early, that's an easy dinner," and it just attacks and it eats it, right? Because that's that's what lions do. There's no moral, there's no ethical code there. It's just like, I'm hungry, I'm going to do this, and and we start to see this like this, this idea going on, but. But with us, we are created in God's image and in his likeness. So what we begin to see is we start to act differently. We start to look like God does. Like we we're people of compassion instead. We, we are people of grace and mercy. And so it's important for us to, to see that this isn't just like this idea of, of the physical. This is the spiritual. So when he says God created mankind in his image, like when I look in a mirror I see 6'2", bald, with a beard, and a, a gut that doesn't really want to go away, regardless of how much I want to work out. Like, it doesn't seem to go. I, I'm willing to bet when you look in the mirror, that's not what you see. If so, you have some serious self-image issues, because I don't want you seeing me, if so. Like, but, like, when you look in the mirror, that's not what you see, right? You, you see you. And the thing is, we all look different. And so God isn't saying, hey, I, I look like you, I look like you, I look like you. It's, it's the spiritual. that's what God is putting wired into us. And we are created in his likeness. We are created in his image and we are his image bearers. So what does that mean for us? That we are to carry his name. We are to show the world what he looks like. We're to take this name that he lays out for us in Exodus 34. And we are to carry this everywhere that we go. We are to show the world what he is like since we have been created in God's image, in his DNA, in his very core, in his very essence. What is at the core of God should be at the core of us. So what is at his core? This should be the things that are at our core because this is the way in which he was created or he has created us. And I think we actually get a really beautiful picture of this, of what it looks like in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, flip to Ephesians 5, verse 1. We're going to camp out in, in this verse for, for a few minutes. Because I think this gives us a great picture of what it looks like to be a person that's made in God's image. To be a person who lives out this, this image, this, this identity that God has given us, what this looks like for us. So let's read this together. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1. says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. So what I want us to do is we're going to break this up. We're going to look at each three of these statements to see what what is God really, or what is Paul telling us to do? So the first statement is, imitate God, therefore. So first thing we do whenever we're reading the Bible, whenever we're reading almost anything, if we find the word therefore, we know... That's a connecting word. And so, like, when I was in Bible college, one of the things they always told you is, like, when you see a therefore, you have to find out what therefore is therefore. And so we begin to see, okay, this is connecting back to something that has already been said. So if we look up at chapter 5, or chapter 4, Paul is giving us what it looks like not to live as people of God, not to imitate God. He says, stop telling lies. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. If you are a thief, quit stealing do not use foul or abusive language. Do not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, harsh words, and slander, as well as any type of evil behavior. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And so Paul says, now, therefore imitate God. Remove these things in your life, get rid of these things, and center your life on these, these last things that he talks about that's centered on this idea of, the, of his loving kindness, his haset that we've talked about before, and I just want us to think about this for a second. Think about the characteristics of God, how different they are than, than, than we are. How would it, how do you think it would go over if God made snide and bitter remarks to you when you prayed to him? If that was a person that you were? That God was like, God, can you help me with this? You want me to help you with that? You got all this other stuff going on too. Don't forget about that. What what if what if God did that? Or what if like how would our worship and our prayer life be different if God was like telling people about about what you were doing behind your back, like behind your back? And so you pray to God, God, can you really I need help with this? And then God goes and like, can you believe what that guy's doing? Like, what would that be like? Not good, right? Or what if God like didn't tell you the truth? And he lied to you. And so Paul is saying is like, that is not the way of God. So don't be like that. That is not the way that we imitate God. And I think it's really important. So it says, imitate God, therefore. We need to be really careful not to replace the, the name God with, with someone else. Like, as maybe a pastor. Like, I, I want to be a person of exam, an example, but I don't want you guys to be like, that's the only person that I want to imitate. No, it's, it's, it's God. That's the person we are going, that we're trying to imitate. When it talks about maybe a friend, like, oh, they're so good. Like, I want to imitate my friend. No, they, they still fail. They still screw up. Uh, a coworker, a role model, whatever it may be, he's saying, like, no, God is the one that we are to imitate. We are to look like him. We are to be like him. Jesus is our standard every single time. And so that's where we're, we're looking for. And so he says, imitate God, therefore. And I think this word imitate is really, it's a fascinating word. Because the, the Greek word that we from this this word imitate is actually where we get our English word mimic. Okay? And so I don't know, did you guys ever play the, the copycat game as kids? The worst possible game in the history of games ever created? Like the stop copying me. And so you'll say like, you'll just say something and then you, it's always a sibling, but they'll start saying it right back to you and be like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And then you'll look at him, stop copying me, stop copying me. Mom, mom, like you guys, like you should try that game. It's, it's great. Not really, it's terrible. Like, But like, I don't know if you remember this game. And this is the idea here. This, this mimicking, this doing what we are meant to do. When I would play this game as, as a kid, I knew like the three things that I could say to get my sister Hannah to stop this game, like because she loved playing this game all the time. I could either say I'm ugly, I'm fat, or I'm stupid, and she would be like, No, nope, I'm not saying that. I'm done. Like those were the ones. So there's your, there's your answer if you get stuck in this game. Like that's, that's it. But like Paul is telling, you, like mimic, to, to be the people, imitate, follow, follow what God does, what God says we say. What God does, we do. What God cares about, we care about. Who God loves, we love. This is what it looks like. This is what he's telling us. Mimic, imitate God. Look like him. Look like these characteristics that are laid out for us in Exodus 34. Be people who are slow to anger. People who are compassionate. Be these type of people. And what I find really fascinating about these words, this word again, is this is a verb, but it's an active action. So it's this idea of becoming, becoming like God. It's this process of that we continue to be like him. The goal of this isn't just to, to do the right things. It's to become the right things. And so it's, it's, our goal with all of this isn't, okay, I'm going to be slow to anger, but I'm going to hate every second of it. I'm going to be reluctant. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be compassionate, but I hate being compassionate. I hate being compassionate to you, especially. like That's not the goal. The goal is we become people who this is, is who, we are, who we are. What we start to do and we start to live out this way, we, we aren't reluctant to do these things, but the more that we get to know God, the more that he begins to transform and change us, the more these things begin to come out of us. The more we begin to do these things the way that we are, are meant to. So he says, imitate God, therefore. Here's the next thing. In everything you do. And I just want to I want you guys to say this with me, because this is important. All right, so in everything you do, on the count of three, we're going to say that together. Ready? One, two, three. In everything you do. Let's just do it one more time. One, two, three. In everything you do. Notice Paul doesn't say, imitate God, therefore, in some of what you do. He doesn't say, imitate God, therefore, in part of what you do. He doesn't say imitate God there in even most of what you do. He says imitate God in everything that you do. And that word, everything, that's the tough one, right? Like if, if Paul would have left that out, that might, might make us feel a little better, right? If, if, if Even if he just said the majority of what you do, but he, he, he doesn't leave it out. He says in everything that you do, it's all or nothing. There's no, like, partial surrender here. I mean, we can't say, okay, God, you can, you can have my work life. God, I'll even reluctantly give you my bank account. God, I'll, I'll let you be in charge of most of my free time. But what I do with, with, my, with my partner, that you're not a part of that. Or, God, you can have these areas of my life, but I don't want you making any decisions on my entertainment choices. That, that's mine. Like, that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, like, we imitate God. In everything that we do. And there's this beautiful quote by by a guy called Abraham Kuyper. And I think this is a really powerful quote for us. And I just want to read this. It says There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is supreme over all, doesn't cry, Mine. There is nothing in the entire existence of humanity. That God is not Lord and He's not sovereign over. That He is in charge, He is boss over. And Tim Keller, he writes about this, this quote in his book, Every Good Endeavor. And he talks about how, he talks about this quote and he says, What I think begins to happen though, when it moves from my eyes of reading this quote to my heart, I, I retranslate it, I rewrite it to sound more like this There is not a square inch. In the whole domain of my time of personal devotion and church going, over which Christ, who is supreme over all, doesn't cry, mine. And frankly, I would like to keep a controlling interest in my church going. I think this is what we begin to do sometimes. We're like, okay, God, you can, you can be in charge of how I spend a Sunday morning. Three, three, three weeks out of the month. You can be in charge of those. Or, or, or my personal devotion time, that 15 minutes, God, you can be in charge of those but everything else, like, that's mine, and it's not the way it works. God is saying, no, everything is mine. He is very concerned. He is more concerned than just what we do on a Sunday morning. He's more concerned about what, than what we just do on our, our few minutes of quiet time. Like, he wants every single part of our lives. He's saying, I have control. I have dominion. I have power over that. And so we are to imitate Christ and God in everything that we do. Because every square inch of the human existence, every square inch of humanity, Jesus says, "That's mine." So what do we do? We imitate Christ, God. Therefore, in everything we do, as these characteristics become the core of, they're the core of who God is, and they become the core of who we are. We start to live these out. We begin to imitate God. We begin to live these things out. So we, so we've got the what. We imitate God. We've got the how and the where in everything that we do. And the last one is the why. Here's what he says. Because you are his dear children. Why do we do this? Because you are his dear children. When I was a kid, like, I had a problem cleaning my room. Anybody else have that, ever had that problem? Like Maybe not now, but as a kid. Like, I would be told to clean my room. And like my brother and I, we lived upstairs. And my parents didn't really come upstairs unless like something was crazy going on. And so like they would send us upstairs to clean our room. And we would really attempt to start, like we'd start cleaning our room. And maybe you remember this as a kid, then you'd find that really cool game that you haven't seen in like six months. Like, oh, I should play this or this hat that you haven't worn in like a a year. And so you've got the hat on, you're playing a game, you get completely distracted. And then like the time of cleaning your room is supposed to be over. And this is what would happen. Like we'd go up to clean our room. We wouldn't actually get it clean. We'd, We'd get like something cleaned and then we'd find something that would distract us but then like there would be this moment where like my parents would finally just like break like okay enough's enough and so they would come up into their room with a bin bag and they would like start trying to grab our toys and throw them in the bin bag to like Actually, they were going to throw them away. Now, my parents, like, they bought us these things. They weren't going to throw them away. Six-year-old me did not know that. And so, like, they would walk in the room with a bin bag, and my brother and I would scurry all around. We were cleaning up as fast as we possibly could. And, like, my parents were, like, really nice and slow to walk to things because they, they were trying to motivate us to get our room clean. Every once in a while, though, they'd switch it up a little bit. They'd come in with a box. And they'd move a lot faster with the box. And they'd grab stuff and they'd put it in the box. And like, okay, you can get one toy back when you do a chore that isn't on your chore list. And they'd hide it in their closet. And then like, we, once we found out where they hid it, the chores didn't have to happen anymore. We'd start sn- sneaking stuff out. But like, this was like, the motivational tactic. Like, okay, I have told you so long. Clean your room. I'm going to bring the bin bag and we're going to get this done. It was, it was motivated out of fear. It was motivated out of like, I don't want to lose my toys. And I think it's really important for us To see why we should be motivated to live out God's mission why we should be motivated to to follow his or to carry out his name to imitate God it's not out of fear he's not trying to scare you into a relationship it's like if you don't do this I'm gonna get you I'm gonna throw your stuff in a bin bag it's not out of guilt he's not trying to get you to be like him because he wants you to make you feel guilty it's not out of shame because of who you are it's not even because you're trying to earn your way to God. No, why, why is it? Because you are his dear children. He loves you. And he, that's, that's the motivational tactic here. Here is what is happening. We are living this out because we are his dear children. We want to mimic him. We want to, uh, to imitate him because, because we're his kids. And it's, it's out of love, out of nothing else. Like if you're a parent, think about when your kids mimic you. When they, when they do things, like when they're young, when they do things like, like you do, like we're not, they're not doing that out of fear. They're not doing that out of anger, out of guilt. They're doing it because they, they love you. Like Sometimes I'll, I'll watch my girls do something, whether they say something or do my, manner, my mannerisms that I do, and sometimes I want to apologize, like I'm sorry that you got that from me. But like, other times, like I'm, not, like, I'm not upset. I'm not like, why are you doing that? It's not out of guilt. It's not out of fear. It's, it's because they, they love us. I remember as a kid, like, wanting to be like my dad because my dad was generous, my dad was kind, and that's what I wanted to be like. It wasn't, out of, it wasn't out of fear, it's out of love. And we start to see when kids start acting like their parents, like, good or bad, we talked about this last week, good or bad, but in a good way, like, it's just a natural thing. It's not, it's what, just what they begin to do. They start to pick up these things. And that's what we do as, as children of God. We just start to naturally start doing these things. They start to naturally overflow out of us as we get to know our Father better and the more that we grow and the, become like Jesus the more that we we look like him the more that we act like him and one of my favorite words in the entire English language is the word verbatim I love the word verbatim because like, it has this fullness to it it has this completeness to it it has this perfection to it it's not like sort of or kind of no it's it's verbatim Flip, look at verse 2 of X, or Ephesians 5 It says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, as a pleasing aroma to God. We are to follow the example of Jesus verbatim. Not sort of, not kind of, but we are to follow his example verbatim. We are to do what he has called us to do. We are to live out these principles of what it looks like to be an imitating of God, to carry his name, to show the world what he is like. We're, we're to live this out. You might know this. Maybe, maybe you don't. But in Europe and the United States alone, we throw away 300 million tons of fruit and vegetables every year that never make it to a grocery store just because of the way that they look. All right, wrap your mind around that number. Like, that's, that's insane. So like, there's this apple that would be tasty to eat, but it just looks like a pear. Yeah, we can't put that in the store. Or this carrot that's disformed, and so it, like, they, they can't take it to the store, so it's thrown away. And so when people started figuring this out, back in 2013 and 2014, there became this ugly fruit campaign that started to happen, where, where they would take, take a, an orange that looks funky but tastes fine, and they would sell it. Or, or whatever kind of vegetable or fruit that you're thinking of. Maybe it looks weird, but it tastes fine. And then as I was reading about these ugly fruit stands that were popping up throughout the world, like, I just started thinking about this. And it was like, they are doing for fruit what the church is supposed to do for people. Like we are supposed to be about as loving people, rationally loving people, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what happens here. And start to see like this is the character of our Father. We start to see like giving people, caring for people, regardless of what's going on. And so if we are going to be people who imitate God, if we are going to be people who, who mimic the way of our Father, mimic Jesus, I think we've got to get really comfortable. We've got to we identify with some of the verbs of Jesus. So I'm just going to give us a few of Jesus' verbs that, that we see in the gospel, some of my favorites. There's, there's more. So this is just a few of our, like, okay, like what do we do now? Like, and here's, here we go. One of my favorites is the word is the verb feed. This is one of the ones I love the most. Uh, Jesus sees, sees some people who are hungry. And so he takes a kid's sack lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. And Jesus says, when you see people like that, let's, let's do that. Feed people. Take care of people's needs. The verb clothe. Jesus sees a demon-possessed man. He, he meets this demon-possessed man who's naked. And Jesus says there's a dignity issue there. And, and you can identify with that, and you can, you can feel that. And Jesus says, when you see this, when you have those moments of people, when you see people who are in need of this, clothe them, care for them. He says, give them, give them their, their dignity back. There's one that I think sometimes we like to avoid, but the verb go. I think sometimes we like to, we like to huddle. We like to stay together, but Jesus, he ends his life with this one. He says, he says, go. Go to where the people are. Go to where the people need to, to know what I'm like. Go to the people who need compassion. Go to the people who, who need forgiveness. Go to the people who need to know about me. The Sunday school answer, love. This is a, Jesus really ha, talked about this one a lot as we read through the Gospels. Loving people the way that he does. The word give is another verb of Jesus. Jesus loved to love and he loved to give. And he tells us to, to go and to, and to do likewise. He encourages us to do the same thing. It's the verb remember. Remember what? Remember that God forgives. Remember what God is like. Remember what God has done for you. Remember his promises. Remember his commands. Remember his word. Remember what he has called us to. Remember. And, and these are just a few like At one point, I tried to go through my Bible and underline every single verb, and I got really tired, so I didn't end up doing it. There's, there's a lot. There's a ton of verbs, and I think we gotta get got to get comfortable with those. We start doing the things that, that God calls us to do and that Jesus calls us to do. And if imitation is the greatest form of flattery, God should be flattered by our lives. If imitation is the greatest form of flattery, God should be flattery, flattered by our lives. When God looks down, when he sees us being a person of compassion, God should be like, hey, that, that looks like me. Or, or if he sees us being a person slow to anger, God should say, hey, that looks like me. That's the way that, that I look. Or he sees you being, being gracious or, or loyal love. And he sees that as like, that's what I'm like. Like that should be one of the great, that should be the greatest form of flattery. And as we get ready to wrap this up, I just want us to look really quickly at James chapter 1. James 1, verse 22. James writes this. He says, You must not just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. And friends, our goal is not just to know about God. Our our goal isn't just to read the Bible and be like, okay, that's cool. Let me go back and do what I want to do. If that's the case... We're only fooling ourselves. Our goal isn't just to show up on Sunday and and be here for this this little hour, hour and a half, however long we spend together, and like, okay, that's good, tick that off the box. No, our goal is to do what it says. Our goal isn't just to say, okay, great, God is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that's cool. No, it's our goal is to, to be those things, to be the things that God has called us to be. And friends, I just want to encourage you. I want you to pray this week about what this looks like. I want you to pray and honestly ask the Holy Spirit to ask God some some ways that you can live out his word. What are some ways that you can live out the things that we have been called to do? I can promise you this. The Holy Spirit is really good at putting those on your heart. He's really good at doing that for you. So let me encourage you guys just to, to pray that prayer. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father.